scripture this morning comes from the book of Colossians, first chapter, starting in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is the word of our Lord. So if you will, take out your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. If you would, Colossians chapter 1. Uh, this past week at camp has been a tremendous experience, uh, as uh, you have already heard a bit about uh, last week. I asked you to pray uh, that God would save students and grow closer to him, and God did in one moment. Uh, and over the course of a week, what often uh, we can try to do for generations, God did that. Now, part of that is because we are there uh, with less distractions and you're in an environment where it feels like a bubble. Uh, you're surrounded uh, by the people of God and uh, often, though, being surrounded by the people of God uh, with few distractions is what it takes to hear from God. It's so neat and not a coincidence that our theme for the week at camp, as, you, as you've seen on these student shirts and mine also, is worth it. And that honestly uh, is the theme of our passage today. When Paul wrote the book of Colossians, this section, he talks for just a moment about how Jesus is worth it. So on day one, I asked, I led a, uh, one Bible study with our high school guys, and I asked them the question. You had to go through and talk about three things, and those three things were this. Um, is a, what is a candy bar worth to you? And uh, they, they said, and then I said, all right, is a baseball glove worth more just money-wise than a candy bar? The answer was, yeah. Uh, is an iPhone 13 worth more than a baseball glove? And, and we found out that most likely it is. But then I, I asked this question. I said, all right, so if we had the best candy bar in the entire world, like your favorite, and it's the best, would you pay $2 for it? And they were like, well, yeah. Like, who wouldn't? I'm like, I, I understand. Would you, would you put down a $5 bill 
for the best candy bar in the whole world. I think every high school guy was like, yes. You're the best one, sure will. So would you put a 10 down? Like, would you take a $10 bill, lay it down? A few hands stayed down. Most of them were like, I'd probably put a 10. I said, what about 20? Two hands went up, I think. Like, yeah, I'd, I'd do 20. And mine was one of them. I'd, I'd like, sure, sure. Best candy bar in the world. Then I said, would anybody pay $100 for the best candy bar in the entire world? And, and one, I won't say his name, but one, he knows who he is. One high school guy said, said, you know what? If it's the best of anything in the world, it's worth 100 bucks. And I thought, you know, I can't argue with that. I wouldn't pay 100 bucks for a candy bar, but if it is the best of anything in the world, it's worth $100. And it's so true. Everything has a price on it. I've got an old Toyota truck that I've been asked to sell before, and every time someone asks me, hey, how much would you take for that truck, I give them a ridiculous number, and they say, you're never going to sell it. And I said, I'm not intending to, but if I'm going to, it's worth that much to me. Um, There are things in life that are worth more to us and things in life that are worth less. Our cars have value. our, Our houses have value, and those have monetary value on them, but then there are things that don't have a price. Your marriage, your family, your deep, deep friendships, and those are all worth so much to you. All of the things I mentioned that you spend hours, you work to pay bills on those other things, and you take your resources and you use them to take care of your family, and then those things that are still worth so much are only temporal. We give our lives over to what we find to be worth it. So I want to ask you a question this morning. The question is simple. Is Jesus worth your life? Now, when I say that, what immediately comes to mind, potentially, is, is Jesus worth dying for? And I think most Christians would say, you know what, in a moment, Jesus would be worth dying for, right? To live as Christ, to die as gain. Sure, I would die for Jesus, but that's not my question. My question is, is Jesus worth your life? Because it's easy to say, I would give my life up for Christ. But what about the 60, 70, or 80 years of life that you have? Would you give that? Would you be willing to give your life for the sake of Jesus? And is Jesus worth following whatever it is he may ask of you? Or are you potentially in the room this morning in a place not even knowing yet what Jesus would even ever ask of you? And my desire this morning is not that you walk out of this place having said, Adrian, that was a nice sermon because it's after camp and it's probably not going to be one. But I want you to walk out of this place. My goal for you is over the next few minutes, you grab a glimpse that Jesus is so worth your life that you leave begging God to show you how you can make the greatest impact with the life that you have remaining. What can you do with the life that you have left? Is Jesus worth your life? And the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, and after he wrote this beautiful description of Jesus that we heard last week in the sermon, he writes that Jesus is worth it. This morning we see three ways that he is. The first one is Jesus is worth our suffering. Paul's reference to suffering here isn't just bad things that he's going through. It's particular to the fact that he's going through so much to bring the gospel to lost people and then shepherd those that he's leading. He's, the suffering he's going through is specific to the cause of Christ. 
There are three verses in the section that Scott read for us that speak to Paul's suffering, and the first one can honestly throw you if you look at it closely. Verse 24, look at what it says. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, that is, his church. Is Paul saying that what Christ suffered on the cross was insufficient? It would be difficult to choose that option because if we look at verses 15 through 23, we see that Jesus is more than sufficient. So what does he mean when he says that Paul is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? When Jesus said from the cross, it is finished, the work of your salvation was complete. There is absolutely nothing that is to be added to complete your salvation. The sacrifice of the sinless son of God was completely enough. But what Paul says is lacking is someone to take the gospel message to those who haven't heard it. Jesus' sacrifice isn't lacking, but what is lacking in Christ's afflictions is not something that must be added to the cross. It's that Jesus has given his followers, you and me, the message of reconciliation to take to others, and sometimes it's simply not easy. The work of salvation is complete. The gospel is good news only if you get to hear it. The sacrifice of Jesus wasn't lacking. What is is someone to share the message of hope with those who do not know it. Early 20th century theologian Carl Henry said it this way, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. Paul is saying he'll do whatever it takes. He will put himself into whatever situation, even if it makes him completely uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. And he said it's his joy to be able to do that. Those of you in the room this morning who are parents know about this. And here's what I mean. When your kid cries out in the middle of the night, and then again, and then again, and then again, and I'll stop. Your kid cries out over and over and over. Let me ask you a question. If you are a parent and that has happened to you, raise your hand. All right. If you're a parent and that has happened to you and you just wake up at 2.30 a.m. when you're in a deep sleep and you are excited about that, raise your hand. All right, but how many of you parents who hear your kid crying out and you're not excited about it, how many of you are still going to go check? Yes, because you want to care for your children no matter how uncomfortable it makes you. And Paul says that he is going through agony for the sake of these people and is willing to make himself as uncomfortable as he must, just like you with your kids, for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. Jesus is worth making yourself uncomfortable and as necessary as it needs to be in order to make him known and in order that others be changed by him. It costs you and me nothing to receive the free gift of salvation because Jesus paid it all. But are you willing to do what it takes? Are you willing to honestly do what it takes for people to hear the same message that you've heard? Is Jesus worth that to you? I'd ask you this morning, is Jesus worth going out of your way to make him known? To walk across the street to a neighbor that you, that you don't know or that's new to the area? As, as we've done this, Whitney and I recently, to, to say, all right, one of the things that we want to do is make sure that we 
or going to those who live around us that we don't know and find out, like, do you know Jesus? Time's short. Are you willing to walk across the street? Are you, are you willing to put aside political differences to share the hope of the gospel, not the hope of an agenda? Are you willing to, is Jesus worth going on a mission trip and being uncomfortable for 10 days? Is he worth potentially moving your life and your family to reach the three billion people who've never heard his name ever? Is he worth that? Here's what I know. If you do any of these things, whether it's walk across the street or move across the world, God works in and through you. And Paul says that in verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all whose energy? His energy that he powerfully works within me. There is something supernaturally energizing when you are exactly where God has called you and you are doing what Jesus has called you to do and you are fulfilling his mission in your life. When you are doing that, it doesn't always matter what the outside circumstances are because he's working through you. And all the things that I just mentioned, walking across the street, setting aside differences, going on a mission trip, having a missional life, you're, you're like, I don't know if I can do that. It's not about whether or not you can. It's about saying yes to God, taking the first step, and then getting to experience God working through you. And here's the first step Paul gives us when he talks about struggling. He says in verse 1 of chapter 2, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. The word struggle there is, is the word that we get the word agony from. Paul is agonizing over these people. And look at what he says. Even though you have not seen me face to face. Paul hasn't even seen these people, but you know what he's doing? He's battling for them in prayer. He's praying for these people who he feels are under his care. So I'll ask you this morning, for you parents, do you battle over your family in prayer? Do you take their names of your, your spouse, and if you have kids, your kids, do you take those names to God routinely and often battling for them in prayer? What about those people you know who are lost? You know, just like I said a second ago, God can do more in a moment. You begin praying for that lost coworker, and many of you likely already do that. You begin praying for that lost coworker, and and you, then you're given an opportunity, and it's not a coincidence that God has already been working in their life. Jesus is worth, Paul says, our suffering, and secondly, Jesus is worth proclaiming. Jesus is worth. Proclaiming, I've, I think I've used this illustration before, but it's, it's, it's worth it to do it today. If I go into a really, 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 really good restaurant, you know what I do? I immediately walk out and, and call Dave Snyder and tell him, you know, like how good this place. That's what I do. Right? He does the same for me or we'll send pictures to one another to make the other one jealous. It's a problem, but that's what we do. We talk about this restaurant. <clears throat> a few weeks ago, uh, Alex, Caleb, and Alan Michael and I, we, we took a Friday morning, went up to this place in Asheville. Um, that, that it's, it's, it was a sandwich place, but I'd heard about it because of their milkshakes, and I'd seen pictures. So we go up there. And when we do, uh, the, the, the food takes us, uh, it takes a long time like way too long to make a sandwich and put together a milkshake. But when those milkshakes got to us, I'm going to explain mine to you for just a moment. It was a fruity pebble, and I love those fruity pebble milkshake, but this is what they did. 
They mixed Fruity Pebbles inside of it. Somehow they didn't get soggy. I don't know. But then here's what they did. The cup's about that big around the edge of the cup. They put icing and then stuck Fruity Pebbles to the edge of the cup. All right. It was, yeah, it was, it was, it was one of those that like you're taking your finger, just taking it across the cup like that. Alan Michael's over there licking his cup. You know, it was, it was something worth telling you. And here's the thing. What I'm doing right now is proclaiming to you how good the milkshake was because it was. Here's the thing. Talking about a milkshake is what you call proclaiming. So what is it that the followers of Jesus proclaim? It is the gospel message. What does Paul say is the gospel message? Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ what? Died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was what? Buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The most important primary message of every Christian is the gospel that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried, but the hope of Jesus is that he didn't stay in the grave, but he came busting out of the grave to display that he has power over death, hell, and the grave. That's what we proclaim. That's our message. Here's the thing. There's no greater message. That doesn't just change your eternity. And what I mean by that is we often think of getting saved so we don't go to hell and we can be with Jesus. What about getting saved for the rest of your life now? Making a difference today for your family and for those who you know and live near you and those people that you have influence over. You see, we weren't just saved from hell. We were saved for a purpose, Titus 2 tells us. The gospel is that I was a sinner destined for a literal hell but there was one who stepped in my place to save me by taking my place and taking my punishment so that I could be granted forgiveness and gifted eternal life. It's one thing to talk about a milkshake. It's another thing to talk about a soul being saved and captivated by God who would save that soul. I know it may sound a bit old school to use the word saved, Right? We, we want to think of Jesus as making us better or giving us three steps to a better life. Jesus isn't trying to make you better. He's taking dead people and saving them. That's what Jesus does. Paul calls it a mystery. He says this is a mystery that's now been revealed, and that mystery of our salvation has a name. It's not a bunch of facts. It has a name, and his name is Jesus, and Jesus isn't supposed to be kept secret. He isn't supposed to be kept secret. If you're in Christ and you know him, aren't you glad that Jesus wasn't kept a secret from you? If he would have been, we have no hope right now that I'm up here just, just, just talking for no good reason. And in Paul's day, there were a select few who could know the truth and who have spiritual insight. But the gospel message of Jesus is for everyone. Everyone. Every nation, book of Revelation says that, that every nation, tribe, and tongue will gather at the throne of Jesus. Not us. We're going to be part of that. But not just us. People from all over the globe. And as I said, we're not just proclaiming a bunch of facts. Paul, Paul says we're proclaiming a person. And we have to say about that person all that he has done for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a proclaimer of his gospel. You have a testimony of where God has saved you. 
And here's the thing, as someone who loves to argue, and I especially love to talk to people who don't, uh, who don't quite believe in Jesus, and I love to find out why they don't and how we can get over that, here's the thing, people can argue with you about the Bible, and they can argue with you about history, but they cannot argue with you about the fact that you were once lost and now you've been found. They cannot argue about that, and if you have a story to share, share it. The gospel of Jesus is a message that needs words also. It's, it's necessary. It's not as simple as living a lifestyle where people notice that you are different. That's, that's good, and your lifestyle must match the words that you share with them, or your words are going to be empty and void, but the gospel is a message that has words. We don't live differently and never talk about Jesus and expect someone to get saved when the gospel is actually a message that we have to share. Paul then says there are two ways the proclamation of the word happens. One is we proclaim the gospel to those who don't know it. And the second one he talks about in verse 28, he says, teaching the word so that those who know Jesus continue to follow him. He's, he's talking about healthy biblical instruction, most likely to new converts. Discipleship is key to someone following Jesus after salvation. Being saved is absolutely glorious, but then it is our job to follow up with what it means to live this Christian life. We have, we have a, a book that, that uh, is, is um, had a few copies and we're printing loads more. Um, it's something that I found from a pastor, a retired pastor in, uh, in Virginia, and the book is... Uh, is about the foundations of what it means to follow Jesus. All right, this, the students who gave their lives to Christ this week and, and rededicated their lives are, are meeting this week, um, and they're going to begin to go through this book. It's, it's very robust and very, very good. The, the chapters are what is the gospel, uh, what does it mean to be saved, uh, what, what is sin, what is the Bible, what does it mean to pray, what does it mean to go to church? How do I share my faith? And then what's next? We desire, and our, what we do now is that everyone who at grace gets saved and then is baptized, you, you don't do that unless you commit to then going through this because it's one thing to, to give your life to Jesus, but then that's only the beginning. That's only the start. That's not the end all. This book is incredibly uh, uh, well-written, and it's something that every person, maybe you're in here and you're like, look, I've been a Christian for a long time, but honestly, I don't know that I know some foundational things of what it means to be a Christian. If that's you this morning, just next steps, go over there and say, look, I, I got to go through that with someone. I've got to go through that with somebody. But discipleship is key, not just sharing the gospel. That starts. But then healthy biblical instructions. I want to encourage you life group leaders for a moment too. I know many of you have the summer off. But when you meet, you aren't just leading another Bible study. You're leading and shepherding those in your group to help them be presented before God holy and blameless. You can't make them be that, but, but you proclaim and lead, and, and that's, that's what you're doing. Paul also says, we proclaim God's word so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. He's talking about cultural errors. I want to speak to you parents for just a moment. I, I don't know if you realize, but... One of the biggest cultural errors today for your kids, and, and, and just so you know this, you, you likely get news, if you're a parent, you likely get news, maybe you don't, from the TV, they don't. 
All right? I, I don't. Like, if I want to know something, I immediately go to Twitter. And I'm substantially older than these students in here. But they, they get their news from social media. And I want to tell you a cultural error of today. It's that they should be allowed on your watch to discover their own truth. That you should take a hands-off approach and don't press on them what you think to be right. And you should allow them to discover who they are without your help as opposed to teaching them who Jesus is and allowing him to shape and change who they are. That's a, that's, that's a lie that's infiltrated our society. Yeah, you let your 12-year-old your decide the type of person they want to be and how they should live their life and let them discover their own truth. Well, there's no truth for them and, and truth for you. There's one truth. And it's your role to teach them that truth. Another cultural error is this idea of kind of new age, new age meets Jesus idea that you're enough. I, like I'm enough and that inside of me, I'm going to find all that I need to be me and to be free. If that's the case, then there's no need for Jesus. I'm going to tell you this morning something, it's probably going to sound harsh. You aren't enough. You aren't. I'm not. You were never meant to be enough, but when you trusted in Jesus, you won't find inside of your heart what you need to be free. You find inside of him what it means to be free. And the world needs to hear that message. And because of that, our third truth this morning is this. Jesus is worth our commissioning. Paul says in verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Jesus is worth our commissioning. The ESV that, that we use calls Paul's ministry a stewardship that he was given, but the word could honestly mean commission. Commission that he was given. Commission is to be sent, is to go. Paul was commissioned in Acts 9 when God saved him to, to send him. What happened is Paul is on his way to imprison Christians, potentially kill them, and God met him on the road to Damascus, and God gloriously saved him, blinded him. Paul then followed uh, and went into town, and his eyes were open, and Paul was a changed man to be sent out to share the hope of Jesus. Let me tell you this. Paul wasn't radically changed to go back home. He wasn't radically changed to go back home and, and protect himself. You see, you and I are saved to be sent, not saved to shelter in place. You and I are saved to be sent, not saved to go back home and shelter ourselves from the rest of the world. No, because the rest of that world is dying and going to hell, and it's our job to tell them about the one who can save them. Jesus is worth our commissioning, and he's worth our life because guess what? You were worth his death. He's worth our life and living for because you were worth dying for. You see, our trusting in Jesus and following him might be priceless to us, but it was not to him. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says that you were bought with the price, and that price was the blood of the sinless Son of God. Is Jesus worth your life? Yes, because he actually has more invested in it than you do. He created you, he died for you, and he's coming back for you. That is entirely more invested in our lives than we have invested in our lives. We're gathered every Sunday, not just to go back home, but to be sent out with the message that you know and need to be reminded of. Don't you want to, to at the end of your life, someone to look back and say, Jesus was so worth it to him or to her that 
They were willing to do whatever they must. Because a, a young man named William Borden thought so. William Borden was a, a young man in the, the late 1900s, or late uh, 1800s, early 1900s, and his parents owned, parents owned a massive company called the Borden Milk Company. You've probably seen they, they still make cheese. He, he was going to become the heir, and in 1904, he graduated from high school, and he went and, and got the chance to do what every high school student would love to do. His family said, oh, you graduated high school. Here's our gift to you. How about a trip around the world? All right, they were filthy rich, gave him a trip around the world, and it was on that trip around the world that when he was coming into contact with people that would never hear the name of Jesus, God burdened his heart so much that he said, something's got to be done about this. So when he got back home, he looked at his dad and he said, Dad, I'm not going to take over the family business. That I'm not going to take over the family business. It angered his father that he would not be doing that. And one of his friends actually expressed to him that he was throwing himself away by becoming a missionary. He was throwing himself away by not living in luxury and instead becoming a missionary. Borden ended up attending Yale and began to work on his campus to the point of which 1,300 Students on the campus of Yale at that time, by his senior year, a thousand of them were gathered in prayer meetings weekly. And he graduated from college and seminary and he, he hopped on a boat and he was headed to China because God had called him to, to reach Muslims in China. But he took a detour and stopped in Egypt. And he stopped in Egypt because he wanted to learn Arabic. And when he did, he contracted spinal meningitis. And guess what? At the age of 25, William Borden died. And as word got back to the United States, the newspaper articles actually read, what a waste of a life. What a waste of a life. Meanwhile, when his friends got to him and found him, they were looking through his stuff. And, and what they found was at the very back of his Bible, he had written the words, no regrets. He was a, a young man who who would be, in our terms, a billionaire, was willing to say, you know what, that's, that's fine. And there, I'm sure a lot of that funded his trip. But that's not what God's called me to do. And, and if you go even now in, in Cairo, I'd love to see it. If you go to Cairo, Egypt, you're not going to find some amazing plaque. You're going to find his gravestone there. And written on that says, apart from faith in Christ, there was no such explanation for his life. Was that a wasted life? I mean, honestly, I, I, I'm not asking you to nod or shake your head because some of you may think, yeah, it sure was. You see, I think a wasted life would be one that spends years pushing away God's call to settle for a few years of temporal comfort. I think that would be a wasted life. I'm not expecting you right now to drop everything and move to Egypt, but some of you might. We had a 15-year-old girl who's in the service this week accept the call that in her words, God had been calling her for the last few weeks to be a missionary. She said, I, I don't know that I fit in the business world. I, I, I don't know that I, I fit in some of these other places. And for the last few weeks, I cannot shake that God has called me to go serve people somewhere else. And on Thursday night, the camp preacher's talking about it. She's like, I, like this is what my life is going to consist of. 
There was another young lady who I talked to yesterday morning, and after we talked in our church group time Friday night, she said, you know what? She said, I realized, and she's super brilliant. She said, I realized something. The world doesn't need more doctors. The world doesn't need more business people. If there are three billion people on this earth who don't know Jesus, the world needs more people to go to them. And she said, so I'm beginning to wrestle with the call. Should I be a missionary now as well? Because the world needs people to take the gospel to those who haven't heard it. I also think there are some of you sitting in this room this morning who, who really, with your gifts, your talents, what God has given you and a call that he's placed on your life, like you're not just sitting here thinking that's as good for everybody else. You're like, you know what, maybe, maybe that's me too. Maybe as, as much as, as it would be nice to, to go back home, I've, I feel like God's calling me to go away from here. I said this to our high school students, and I'll, I'll say it here because I honestly believe it, that it is more difficult for me right now to potentially say, you know what, because I have a family to say, you know, I'm going to uproot and go. It doesn't mean that if God called me, I wouldn't. Because that's something I've even thought of recently too. Like, all right, there's so much going on in my mind about sending. Is God calling me to go too? But here's the thing. For you high school students, when you graduate high school, I shared this with you the other night, but I'm saying this to your parents so that it's not news when you come back and you're like, maybe I'm called to go. Um, When you graduate high school or you graduate college, that's the most opportunistic time you can have to go on mission somewhere. You, you just graduated from something, you're, you're smart, especially if you graduated from college, you can find a job somewhere, you can, you can go, and if you're looking for that opportunity, we want to be able to hook you up with that opportunity, but for some of you, it's not about going overseas. For some of you, I'm asking, are you fulfilling your commission by simply walking across the street to your neighbor? By using your gifts in the church or by sharing Jesus with your coworker or sharing Jesus with your, your family? Is Jesus worth it? He thought you were enough to die for you. And you see, Jesus was willing to literally give everything for you. And the least that we can do is say, you know what? If Jesus was willing to give up heaven for me, then can I not give away a few years to him? So I can't decide for you this morning if Jesus is worth it to you. Only you can do that. But I can tell you, I believe he is. I believe so so much that he's worth our suffering, he's worth proclaiming, and he's worth our commissioning. And this morning, if you are in this room and you uh, are are looking for discipleship and you need that, like I I need that immediately because I've never really grown in my faith. You know what? I I hadn't either for years when I gave my life to Jesus, and it wasn't until years later that I got it. We want to help you in that. So if that's you, go to Next Steps. If you're like, you know what? I'm wrestling with the call to to vocational ministry or to go serve on the mission field. Next steps is for you as well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you would uh, love us enough to, to give up everything that you gave up so that we could, Lord, not just, not just have heaven. As glorious and amazing as, that gonna, as, as that's going to be, we could, we could have a life of being forgiven and a life with purpose and a life with hope. Life with peace, even when the world is swirling. We can have those things because of you. So, Jesus, I pray this morning that if there's someone in the room who hasn't trusted in you, God, I pray they would. I pray that they would trust in you for the first time this morning. If there's someone in here who feels that you've called them to go serve somewhere, I pray that you would would fulfill that, that burning that you're giving inside of them, God, and they would take the next step. And, Lord Jesus, I pray for this congregation that we would 
take the, the necessary next steps to walk to our neighbor's house to proclaim the hope that Jesus only you is only found in you. And I ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Adrian. Wednesday night, I was across the mountain at an FCA camp. Uh, we had uh, 50 or so of those camp leaders here in worship last Sunday morning at our 11 a.m. service. I looked and I saw Don Elliott. Don, who has done an amazing job of leading uh, FCA uh, or the version of it at East McDowell Middle School. Don, whose life God has radically changed. And there she stands uh, at that FCA camp with all those uh, students. Uh, now, Dawn fits in better than most of us, but uh, there she stands with all those students. And she says, I have two here. That's what it means to go, church. That's what it looks like. Wherever you are, uh, be uh, the voice of Jesus Christ. Uh, share the gospel of Jesus in that place. Um, uh, just an opportunity for you to come here and serve on Tuesday. We'll have lunch much again. And so if you could be here between 8 and 10 a.m. is when that opportunity to serve exists on Tuesday. We'd love to have you there. As you leave today, kids camp, sign up if you have kiddos uh, that are preschool to fifth grade. Uh, you'll see a sign up in the front and the back uh, around a black table. Go sign up there. Encourage you to do that. And then uh, finally, we want to celebrate Philip and Angela Wall, who's sitting in this service. Five years of serving on our custodial, custodial staff here at Grace. Would you thank them? Yes. They do an amazing job, and we're so, so grateful, uh, so, so grateful for them. Uh, Adrian, thank you for the word from the Lord. Kids, it's good to see you up front this morning. I love that. Our church has long existed to see young people like you come and grow and be who God has called them to be. Now, it is uh, uh, 17 minutes until the next service starts. And so I know your desire to hang out, but we need you to empty the parking lot quickly today. And so we pushed it on our time. And uh, so be careful as you go. We have an extra 70 people coming to our next service from another camp. So it's just kind of wild this morning. So uh, uh, don't speak to a soul. Just get out of here. <laughs> All right. Love you guys. I'll see you.
It's working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy. Count on one thing Same God never fails Will not fail me now You won't fail me now In the waiting And the same God who's never late Is working all things out You're working all things out Oh yes, I